Well, it is a special Sunday here because we've got we have got a guest speaker. So I'd like to I'd like to introduce all of you to Durlord. Durlord, well, everybody. What's up? So Dur is here for for a really specific reason. He is a candidate for coming on staff here at River Life as a resident church planter. And what that means is that River Life we are already planning our first church plant in about two to about two and a half to three years. We're hoping to plant another church slash campus over on the Minneapolis side of town. And Dur is a guy that we've been talking to for about the last six months or so, phone calls and FaceTimes and, and in-person interviews as a really strong candidate to lead that church planting effort. And so as part of the process of him getting to know us and us getting to know him, we invited him out here. He's from California, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, but I'm really excited. I've had a great time. I've known Dur for a number of years now, but I've had a great time over the last few months getting to know him even better. So, um, with that, let's give Dur a huge River Life welcome. introduction. I just want to say good morning, River Life. It's really, really exciting to be here worshiping and uh, preaching God's word for us today. I'm so stoked to be with fellow Hmong people again because in LA there's like about five Hmong people, like total, and my wife and my daughter are there too. So I'm super, super excited to be to be here amongst you all. And uh, as Greg mentioned and, and uh, as I'm going to share, I'm currently in California wrapping up my time at Fuller Seminary. We've been there for a couple of years. But before Fuller, I was actually next door to you all. I was in Wisconsin, right? And growing up Hmong in Wisconsin, we always kind of looked at the Hmong in Minnesota like a little bit, a little intimidated. Like you guys were more progressive and tighter communities and uh, better tournaments and New Year's and better restaurants and all of that stuff. And uh, one thing I really remember Wisconsin Hmong people raving about about Minnesota was Saigon Pho, right? <laughs> Saigon Pho. All, all the people in Wisconsin saying, if you ever go to Minnesota, you gotta try Saigon Pho. So I, I tried it, you know? It was good, it was good, you know? But when I started asking the locals, like, hey, what, what do you guys think about? What's your favorite pho? Almost nobody said Saigon Pho. <laughs> and almost everybody liked Quams or Chu Chow or some other place or just at my house. I like how my mom makes it or something like that. So then I realized that most people in Wisconsin you were even more underprivileged than compared to compared to uh, in, in Minnesota. Well, here's a picture of my family and uh, that's us on the beach. Uh, you can see that's my beautiful and uh, intelligent wife Alice. We've been married for coming up on eight years. Yeah. And, God's blessed us with a daughter, three and a half year old. Her name's Penny, or Penelope. And Penny's, she's at the stage she's, where she's really energetic, and when we go to the parks, she's really active on the playground. She's becoming really independent. She can do almost anything on the playground. She can climb on the little structures. She can go down the slides by herself. Uh, she can go on all sorts of spinning things. And I'm just like, go for it, you know? Like, she just has a blast down there. Um, and I think if there was like an American Ninja Warrior show for toddlers on playgrounds, I think Penny would be a pretty good, pretty good contender uh, to, to, to win this thing. But you know, the one thing 
that my daughter absolutely cannot do is she can't go on the, on the swings by herself, right? The swing set. Because first, I would have to physically place her in there. Uh, but then even after that, I would, if I didn't give her that first push, she wouldn't be going anywhere. She couldn't do it by herself. She would just be standing there motionless and probably a little frustrated and like, what are we doing here? You know, not that I would ever do that, right? <laughs> just like put it in there and watch it. But she would be at a standstill. She would not be going anywhere. And, and I, I can imagine that no matter how hard she flexed all her muscles and, and tried to, to kick and get some momentum, that I don't think she would succeed at making the swing actually swing back and forth. It'd be like all her effort was just going nowhere. She would be at a standstill. And maybe you can relate to that kind of feeling. Maybe there's a time in your life where you recall you were kicking and putting in all your energy and your muscles and your effort, and it felt like it was all making no difference, like there was no progress. Maybe you've been at a standstill. Maybe right now, when I say that, you think, I'm at a standstill right now, and this is where I'm at a standstill. Maybe you're not alone in this. You know, if you are at a standstill, I actually think, in a sense, Jesus' first disciples, they were also at a standstill. In the time where Jesus had just died and rose again, the disciples, they needed some kind of a first push, some kind of a momentum from outside of themselves to begin to get things going for them. right? Because they were given this task to preach this message that this God-man had died and rose again. And that message would have gone against the majority religions of their time. That was feeling to them like an impossible task. They needed some kind of a first push. Can you imagine the anxiety that they may have felt, or the uncertainty, the questions? How could we ever do this? Right? And, and again, maybe for you, you're in that situation where you're going, there's no way, I don't see a way forward. I don't know where I'm going to find momentum or some kind of assistance. I need something from the outside to give me a push. So how were Jesus' disciples going to spread this message about him? Well, if you want to read along, we're going to dive into that question together. Uh, we're going to go into the book of Acts this morning. It's going to be Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. We'll have the scripture on the screen as well, but feel free to follow along in whatever device or, or, or Bible you have in your hands. And I'll give you a moment to get there. It's going to be Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And even as you're getting there, um, to better understand the book of Acts, we'll need to know that the person who wrote Acts um, actually also wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Because the Bible is, it's God's word for us, um, written by human authors. So the, the author who wrote Acts also wrote Luke. And the reason I mention that is because he's going to refer to that right away at, in verse 1. So um, if you have it with, me, with you, let me, uh, let me read it for us. Here we go. Acts chapter 1, verses 
1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the disciples, the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the first things that we notice when we read this, these words of Jesus is that Jesus is directing the disciples or the apostles' attention to Jerusalem. He commands them in verse 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. But why Jerusalem? What was important or significant about this place, the city called Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was the main central city for the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were God's chosen people, a group of ethnically, one type of ethnic people, who God would send the, Jesus, the Savior of the world, through the Jewish people. So the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And they gathered primarily in Jerusalem. One reason, because Jerusalem had the temple where Jews from the surrounding areas would gather throughout different parts of the year for worship. And so that's, uh, that's one reason why Jerusalem was, was important. It, in some sense, it's kind of like a modern capital city today has influence over the surrounding areas. So like Washington, D.C. is our nation's capital. Right here in St. Paul is your capital in Minnesota. And it's not like Jerusalem had people who wrote laws and voted on laws and then like spread them out. Not like in that modern sense, that was not Jerusalem. Jerusalem basically was just a centralized, influential city uh, for Jewish religion, practices, and customs. And so that's why Jesus commands his disciples to, to stay in Jerusalem and to wait there for the promise of the Father. And of course that raises the question for us of what exactly was that promise from the Father. We read in verse 5 and 6 that the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're the same thing. 
But what is, it, what, is, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've heard that before, and you're like, I've never really understood what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. Well, remember how we mentioned that Luke wrote both Acts and Luke, the, the, the two books? At the end of Luke, in Luke 24, 49, it gives us a clue as far as what is baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 24, 49, we see Jesus saying to his disciples, he says, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Right? Jesus seems to be saying that whatever it is that the, the, the Father is promising, it's a power from on high. It's a heavenly power. It's not only an earthly power or a human power or a political power. And so in the Acts passages that we're looking at today, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit then is the same thing as to receive a heavenly power from on high and not an earthly or a human or political power. And this is the promise of the Father, right? That the Holy Spirit would come on the disciples, the apostles, and empower them to spread the message of Jesus starting there in Jerusalem. In a sense that the Holy Spirit was that first push to kind of get things going, right? The, the disciples would have been at a standstill. The Holy Spirit was to be that first push in Jerusalem. Well, remember when we read in verse 8 that Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria? If Jerusalem is the center, then where exactly is those other parts, like Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To, to, to answer that question, I'm going to do some very basic geography uh, for the purposes of this of this talk. And I apologize if it feels like you're getting extra school on the, on the weekends. Um, just you'll have to bear with me. Uh, and so it's going to be actually very, very simple, right? So you can, you're going to see up there, uh, Jerusalem is the center, right? And uh, beyond that second circle, is the area or the region of Judea. And then the third is Samaria. And the ends of the earth then would be everything else beyond that, right? So you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's Jesus' commission or instructions to the disciples. And of course, this is a very simplified uh, geography. It's not a precise uh, location of where the cities are and relative to each other. But the thing that we need to just take away from this picture is that Jesus is pointing them to start Jerusalem and then to move further and further and further away. So just to do a recap, to put all of this together, right? the Father sends the Holy Spirit to Jesus' first disciples in Jerusalem. It's here in Jerusalem that Jesus wants them to start spreading news about him, right? Things like his actions, his miracles, his life, the way he lived, his teachings, uh, his death on a cross, his resurrection from, from the grave, and his ascension. Jesus wanted them to share those things about him. And that's what it means to be a witness, is you're witnessing or you're pointing to something else. And Jesus wanted them to spread that message in Jerusalem first. 
Uh, and then this would begin to have a ripple effect that would move outwardly towards the area of Judea and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. And that this outward ripple effect would be started, initiated, and carried out and overseen completely by the Holy Spirit. Power from on high, not from an earthly power or a human ability. How do we know it wasn't carried out by, by human ability? How do we know it just wasn't the luck of the draw for the disciples to accidentally carry out this mission? Here's one way we can know that it was not the disciples' power and human ability to carry out this mission. Uh, the, the first apostles or the first disciples, they were this group of average, maybe less than average, uh, untrained Jewish uh, men and women who were who left their lives to, to follow Jesus, right? They were fishermen and tax collectors. And for, for this group to preach this radical message in a, in a, in a world that was going against their Jew, top Jewish leaders, um, they didn't really have a good chance. These Jewish leaders, the top leaders, they really knew their scriptures and their Bible. These other group of Jesus' disciples, they were not trained, right? And to add to that, all of this was taking place in the larger Roman Empire, where Rome had conquered Israel and Jerusalem and this land. And this group of first disciples in the larger Roman Empire, they were like minorities, like ethnic minorities in that larger Roman Empire. So in both worlds, both in that Jewish world in Rome, Jerusalem, and in the larger Roman Empire world, these first disciples, they were very average, very untrained group of misfits who didn't fully belong, right? So we can imagine then that in this context for Jesus to commission this particular group of people would have been really frightening for them. They felt really underqualified and inexperienced, right? This was their standstill moment, right? Especially that they were also, to reach the larger world, they were the ethnic minorities in the larger Roman Empire. No doubt this mission would have made them anxious and question things and uncertain. Now, I don't know about a lot of you, but I've been mom all my life, right? Uh, born and raised mom. Right? Being ethnic uh, minority in America has, has some challenges, right? And I think a lot of us, to one degree or another, uh, can experience that. Sometimes I feel like I am that second-class Christian. Um, ultimately, I know that in God's eternal kingdom, I know that I'm not second class, and neither is anyone in this room. But in the society that we live in, in this present age, where all things have not yet been made right under Jesus, in that present age, yes, I, I sometimes feel like I'm that second class citizen in the larger world I live in. And then when it comes to the church world, or, or the Christian circles, I'm guessing that some among people have even had a thought in their minds, quietly in their hearts, 
that goes maybe something like this. Well, I'm Hmong. What do I have to offer the world or the church outside of the Hmong church and outside of the Hmong context? If you've ever had that thought, if that thought has ever crept up into your mind, you're actually in a very similar place to those first disciples of Jesus, who were ethnic minorities within the larger Roman Empire commissioned to preach this message in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And so if God has historically used this type of second-class, untrained, and experienced type of people to do his work, then what makes us think that he cannot still do that same thing today? To carry his message of redemption and of love in Jesus' name. In all of, in all of this so far, uh, we've been saying very clearly, it's only from power from on high, the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that gave the disciples that very first push, which drove the disciples then to start preaching in Jerusalem. Right? But so far, we haven't mentioned how. Like, what happened in the lives of the disciples that actually moved this mission outwardly? What the book of Acts will later show us is that it was actually the death of one of those disciples that would cause the church in Jerusalem, that center city, to scatter beyond Jerusalem. This disciple was Stephen. Stephen was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach boldly to the Jewish leaders who didn't believe in Jesus. Right? This act where Stephen is preaching in front of the Jewish leaders tragically gets Stephen killed. And while it's certainly sad, uh, legitimately tragic that he dies, it's also really, really important to understand that Stephen died because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that his preaching was so bold that the Jewish leaders reacted so harshly against it and killed him for it. It was Holy Spirit-empowered preaching in Stephen that warranted that serious and harsh reaction from the Jewish leaders. The Holy Spirit was in Stephen and gave him the courage to go through with this of what normally would have been a very scary experience for anyone, uh, the possibility of, of death. And so it's Stephen's death that causes the church in Jerusalem for the first time to move and scatter to the surrounding areas in Judea and Samaria. We see this very clearly in Acts uh, 8.1, which reads, on that day, which was the day that Stephen was stoned. Uh, Acts 8 1 says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So Stephen's death ignites the beginning of Jesus' words in Acts. 1-8. Those words were 
you will be my witnesses in Jer Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we see, if we were to read on, immediately after Stephen's death, when the Jerusalem church is now scattered, we see another disciple named Philip, who preaches in Samaria for the first time, brings the message of Jesus in the region of Samaria, that third circle for the first time. And after that, that disciple, there's another disciple named Paul, who then carries the message of Jesus beyond that third circle to the ends of the earth. And so the commission that Jesus gave his first disciples in Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, that eventually does happen, and it gets carried out later in the story, but it didn't happen the way that the disciples may have imagined or anticipated. And that's because that commission or that role was not, was not possible for them to carry out in their own human knowledge or their own human experience. It was completely dependent on power from on high, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that would then uh, push the mission outwardly to the regions beyond. And now, this same Holy Spirit that we've seen at work in the book of Acts is still at work today. So again, I ask you, what are the impossible tasks, impossible mountains to climb in your life? What are you facing right now that if you don't get some kind of a push from a power beyond yourself, you just know you're not going to be able to move forward. What is that for you? Are you at a standstill in one of your relationships? Maybe with a parent? Maybe a sibling? Maybe a friend or a spouse? Where time and time again, difficulties, the same difficulties has come between you and this person. And it just feels like no matter what you do, there is no way to reconcile. There is no way to heal this particular relationship in your life. You're at a standstill in this relationship. Well, God is a God of reconciliation. And as we've seen in Acts, it is in God's interest to spread a message of redemption so that people everywhere in all regions would begin to experience his healing power and would be able to reconcile in these very important relationships. If this is you, maybe this week you can take some time to journal and invite God in that process of journaling and to speak to you, for God to speak to you regarding your relationship with this particular person that you have in mind. And you might ask yourself, is there something that, that I have to own up to in this relationship? How might you allow God's spirit to drive your interaction with this particular person? Perhaps you're at a standstill right now as a parent 
where you just feel like your kids are going 100 miles an hour and you're swimming in the deep end trying not to drown and that's like eight hours of your day. <laughs> I mean, I'm a parent so I can relate to that. And then in the midst of that, you end up saying or doing something uh, that you know was not in the best interest of your kid. That it actually, you're, in your impatience, you do or say something that was from your own anxieties or stress or insecurity. And after a season of this, you start to feel like you're, you're like failing as a parent. Maybe this week you and your spouse can come together multiple times a week in the presence of God and just invite God to speak some truth about your kids or your children to you. You might ask, what are some of the anxieties that my child might be experiencing at school or even right here in the home that's provoking uh, them? Right? You might ask yourselves, as parents, have we been intentionally connecting with our children? Have we been giving them our undivided attention that, um, that might meet their need to be loved? Right? So how can you allow God's love and not your humanly powered, human tendency under stress and anxiety, but allow God's love and presence and Holy Spirit to uh, push your interaction with your kids this week, that you might love them differently. Well, and to connect all of this with, with River Life Church as a whole, um, as we're, we're thinking back to being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, I could ask you, River Life, to identify what your Judea and your Samarias are. Right? What are the surrounding areas in the neighborhood that God might be a moving river life to engage with? Right? To which you could say Maplewood, or North St. Paul, or Woodbury, or St. Paul, Minneapolis, Brooklyn Park, Coon Rapids. Right? I studied the map of St. Paul for, for a long time to get that right. <laughs> Or you could just simply say, Wisconsin is our Samaria, because in the Bible, Jews and Samaritans really didn't get along, and neither do Packers fans and Vikings fans. <laughs> so maybe, maybe Wisconsin is your, your Samaria. And although it's, it's a thought-provoking question to ask ourselves, where are our Judeas and our Samarias? By asking that, it does seem, however, to then place us at the center. And if we do that, it kind of removes Jerusalem, that center city, kind of removes that out of the picture a little bit. Instead, if we recognize that Jerusalem was already the center, where the Holy Spirit already came, and that the risk, this rippling effect has been going on, then we're actually not at the center. And if we're not at the center, then here's the good news, River Life. We are recipients of this ripple effect that started in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came. We don't have to pioneer this whole thing and start it up and give ourselves that first push. No, it's already going on. Right? How awesome, how cool is it that we get to be a part of something that's 
so much bigger than we could have ever dreamed of or imagined. And by the very fact that we have the gospel message today, the Bible accessible to us, that demonstrates that the Holy Spirit was faithful in getting that message out, and it's carried it all the way for us today. So I understand River Life is engaging in Surf Sunday, as we've, as we've just heard from Alicia, uh, next week. How many of you all are, are going to be here for, for Surf Sunday? Yes, yeah, so Pastor Greg for sure. But <laughs> yeah, maybe like five other people. Uh, now I'm sure all of you will be here. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Um, and so in whatever way or capacity or role that you have next week for Serve Sunday, my hope and my encouragement is this, that when you remember that the Holy Spirit has already come on the first disciples and already gave them that first push and empower them, that that should alleviate some pressure for us. That we don't have to muster up this power or this ability out of thin air to be amazing Christians. That, that we're free of that pressure, right? Because it's not a humanly power. It's a power from on high. And that power has already come. And we're now recipients of this power and of this ripple effect. So then whether it's Surf Sunday, whether you're here or not, whether it's your personal relationships or something at work that feels like you're at a standstill or looking for work that you're at a standstill or in your marriage or your parenting, whatever it is that you feel like you're at a standstill, that you're kicking and screaming and you're mustering up all your energy and it's not going anywhere, Remember to catch the wave of the ripple effect that's been going on for 2,000 years, where it started in Jerusalem and it moved to Samaria, to Judea, and to Samaria. And now it has reached us right here in the Twin Cities. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, faithful and sovereign God, you carry forth your purposes through the people that you've chosen, God. Though you are completely capable outside of your people, outside of the church, God, you've invited us to be partners with you, to carry forth your message of love and redemption in Jesus' name, and to extend that love to those around us, God. So I pray for my, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, God. God, that you know their situation. Lord, you know exactly where they are at a standstill. God, you know the moment they wake up to the moment that they lie down. Lord, you know all of their thoughts. And God, I commit them to you. I commit them individually and corporately as a church. I commit them to you, Jesus, that you would be the one to provide your Holy Spirit, to give them that push, God, that we don't have it, that I don't have it in myself, Lord, to live out the life that you've called me to live, Lord. 
but I need the Holy Spirit and I need others to come alongside me. So Father, would you hear our prayers this morning, God, and would you move us in ways where we don't have to pioneer this thing and start it from scratch, God, but we are just recipients of what you, Holy Spirit, are already doing and have been doing for 2,000 years, Lord. We give you the thanks and we give you all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.